Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Jaime Cabrera. Confessions of a Creative Director, the original podcast created by a creative director for creative directors, about creative directors, for people aspiring to be creative directors, and even for newbie creative directors like my guest today, Emily Neubauer, who is an associate creative director at Horizontal Digital. She's in Minneapolis. Um, But yeah, I think she's actually, as I think about it now, she might be the youngest guest that we've had on the show. Of course, you never ask a creative director their age. That's a a, uh, a, a very strict (laughs) no-no. But I think she volunteered uh, that she's in her late 20s and so she's just kind of coming into her own in this role so it's a super fascinating conversation especially for people who might be listening who are about to move into that role or are in the same uh, boat as Emily I think it's uh it's definitely going to be an interesting show uh, she talks about you know her some principles that she picked up from watching the movie Frozen 2 uh, we talk about her aspirations of someday becoming a ukulele playing uh wood crafting airline pilot what uh but yes she's super funny super charming very smart and had a lot of nuggets of wisdom to share already uh, at this young stage in her career so without further ado emily newbauer hey emily how are you Good. How are you? Good. Thanks for uh, making the time to join the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I understand you had a, you had a busy day, as did as did I. <laughs> I did. I did always. So many meetings. So many RFPs. So many things to do, and not enough time. <laughs> I want to do a whole episode just dedicated to the bane of my existence, which is RFP responses and how draining they are and how annoying they are clients if you're listening just hire somebody like do your research see who you like and just hire them don't put them through the ringer (laughs) i totally agree i know it's it's a lot especially there's a lot of companies who do that when they already know who they're going to choose but it's like formalities right or they're trying to scare um or they're trying to like scare the their incumbent into you know whipping into shape if they've been slacking off or you know, there's there's any number of reasons why they're doing it, and you just never know. And they're just like, oh yeah, sorry, we just ended up keeping the same people that we had before. It's I totally get it. I totally yeah. get it. So I I completely forgot this would have been this would have been good, uh, given the fact that you're you've been busy, um, and and doing all kinds of stuff. I forgot to tell you about our drink that we do at the top of the session. 
Unfortunately, you just informed me that you do not have anything of the alcoholic nature to drink. So, <laughs> and and I and, I have... and I'm I'm bummed because I wanted to I wanted to introduce you to a new drink that I just invented like ten minutes ago. I'm ready. Tell I'm me. Call, I'm calling it the the skinny pickle Rita. <laughs> okay, tell it's, me more. <laughs> it's it's pickle juice. I don't know why. Have you ever like craved like pickle juice? I, I oh yeah, pickle juice, pickle juice. Club soda, tequila, and lime. You know, we can be friends because everything that you just said is right up my alley. I'm All right. here for it. Perfect. And you know what? I don't have a drink, but I was just at a work happy hour and I was drinking bubbles. So Okay. Good. All right. So we'll we'll I'll uh have a view. <laughs> okay. So ne- next time we'll we'll um we'll do another session and we'll we'll cheers to that. So cheers. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about um, about Horizontal Digital and what you do, and just kind of give me an overview of sort of what you guys are all about. I took a look at the website. It looks like you guys are doing some incredible work for some uh, some big brands, but just sort of give me the, the inside scoop. Yeah, yeah. So I'm an associate creative director there. Um, this is my first director role, so it's been a huge learning curve, but also like super incredible incredible people, awesome boss, awesome teammates, all the things. Um, We're an experienced board agency. And that means that we're really focused on connected experiences. So not just looking at, you know, one touch point, one platform, one sort of phase in the journey of uh, a user for any specific sort of task, but we're really looking at everything. And how can we use digital technologies to sort of enhance that experience and make it feel like it's all super seamless. Um, so uh, thinking about things like Delta, right? Like you go to your Delta app and anytime that you are booking a flight or in the middle of a flight or a layover, any any of those things, we're looking at how, how we can enhance that experience, give you all of the information you need, kind of connect all of the data and then serve up meaningful information. And so looking really at those, yeah, connected connected experiences, um, I have sort of the visual background, and so um, I work really closely with our strategists and our UX designers to bring something that's beautiful, meaningful, strategic, all of the things, um, so that way it becomes a really meaningful experience. And are you mostly doing this, sort of, are, you, are you sometimes partnering, I'm just curious, with other agencies to deliver sort of the digital aspect, experiential part of it, or are you strictly just sort of doing things um, all on your own in terms of the agency. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's really dependent. So we're used to working a lot with um, clients who already are partnered with agencies, whether that's a brand agency or a digital agency even. Um, it really depends on the client. And so we are really well-versed in you know working collaboratively with whoever the players are in the game. And figuring out kind of who's owning what and just setting those initial sort of distinctions between who's doing what and having those open lines of communication. But it's really dependent, really dependent on the client, how new they are, how established they are with other um, agencies, things like that. Okay, cool. And um, so it sounds like you came up sort of on the, on the visual side of things, on the design sort of things. Uh, but it sounds also like you sort of think holistically and think of, you know, conceptually and all that good stuff. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely not like, a, 
hey, here's a website. We need you to design it. It's like, how are they getting to the website? Where are they going? And how is this going to benefit the greater good of everything that we're trying to accomplish? And so even if we're getting hired for like a singular project, um, we're definitely digging into the how and why and sort of the ecosystem around it. Awesome. Excellent. Okay. And you're currently where? You're in Minneapolis. I saw you guys have locations every uh, in a bunch of different places, but are you in Minneapolis? Is that right? Minneapolis. Yep. I'm in Minneapolis. We've got locations all <laughs> over the U.S., huge presence in India, um, and growing so crazy, growing so crazy right now. So um, cool. we're kind of all over the place. Yeah. That's very cool. You're my second guest from Minneapolis. I recently, a few months ago, interviewed a guy named Rob Burnham from an agency called KC Truth. Uh, really cool guy. So it seems like Minneapolis is is the place to be. So um, <laughs> so as we get started here, now you mentioned at the top that you were sort of new to the associate creative director role. So now that you've been doing it for a little bit, how would you describe what, what the role is? Obviously, everybody thinks about it a little bit differently, sees it a little bit differently. You've, you're coming in with fresh eyes. I'm an old, yeah. jaded um, <laughs> bitter person. No, I'm just kidding. But how would you, how would you describe the role? Um, it's really just, you know, it's this interesting, um, in between of a doer and a leader. And so, um, I'm still definitely like honing in on my craft, learning new things every day, but also I've, you know, been doing it long enough that I can also help sort of mold and teach and grow the other young designers on the team. And so, it's interesting because I personally have to learn how to, when it's my role to do things and be the doer and be like in the weeds, um, that's sort of one mentality. But then when I flip the script and I'm the director, then I need to learn how to let go and uh, sort of give the roles away to other people and really just direct and ask questions and uh, be sort of thought provoking. And so it's, I'm still like I, I like I said I'm new and so I'm still learning this definitely day to day but um you can't you can't do it all for everyone nope. and you have to just like let go of the reins and trust your people and trust that you can teach them and so I would say that's like the biggest shift for me is um understanding how much, how hard to hold on to things and then when to let go and just trust your people yeah I know that is that is tough, and even even now, I, that's still a struggle sometimes because you just want to. Um, and I'm not a designer, but I came up sort of more of the copywriter kind of conceptual route. Oh, sure. um, so I can't design, but I can sort of art direct, and and you know, it's it's really you have to fight that urge to just be like, uh, just do this. And I make I'm I'm famous right. I'm famous for my little crappy little sketches and little uh, <laughs> you know keynote mockups that I do right. And that's very helpful sometimes, but sometimes it's kind of like, wait a minute, I I'm, I shouldn't be doing this. I should just let them sort of, you know, come to their ideas and, and then I can help them. But it's just something that you, you know, you just have to continue to practice because we're still creative people, right, at the end of the day. And you still want to be involved. And But it is it is interesting. Um, yeah. Before you got to Horizontal, where were you? What What were you doing before you got there? So I've all, I've mostly always been in the digital realm. And so I was at Nerdy, Nerdery previously and Miram before that. And that's sort of, those are the two places I feel like I really learned everything locally. Um, but really, I mean, I've only been in the industry about six, seven years. And wow. so um, 
I'm, you know, still just dabbling. Like I said, I feel like I'm uh, still just learning every day and trusting and leaning on my people. And I did print for like a hot minute right out of college and realized that was not for me. I love, I love the complexities of technology. I feel like right place, right time stuff is moving, evolving all the time. Um, and so just kind of jumping right in and, and learning what I can as I can. Um, and it's been awesome. I mean, it is complex, even like things like accessibility over the last, right. you know, three years with all the lawsuits, all the things like understanding how to make things beautiful and also accessible and not get sued. Right. <laughs> it's been, it's, it's a lot to learn, but it's, um, you know, we're all kind of in it together. And I think the beautiful thing about the Minneapolis design market is that everyone's in the same boat. And so it's very kind of community focused and we're all doing it together. That's cool. And, um, so you only, you've been only been doing it for six or seven years and you're an associate creative director. So you're moving pretty quickly. So that must mean that you're, that you're pretty good. Wait, is, that a, <laughs> is that a, is that a fair assessment? And if so, tell us what your secrets are, the secrets uh, to, your, to your creative <laughs> process for you to go, you know, from zero to 60 in, you know, in less than seven years or so. What's yeah, the secret? I mean, that there is no secret, you know, we're all faking it till we make it. But I would say that if anything, it's just a matter of not being afraid of the unknown and jumping right in and admitting when you don't know what you don't know. Um, so I really leaned on the people I've worked with. Um, I've been very open to feedback and thinking and new ideologies and new processes and don't tell anybody, but I've changed jobs like every year, year and a half, even if I bounced around back and forth to the same company, because I was just trying to sort of figure it out. And that's not necessarily what I recommend is like bouncing around, but that helped me understand, you know, the differences between industry um, normalities and uh, especially in Minneapolis. And then also just like things that are fundamental and things that you need to know. Um, I guess the biggest thing is just uh, taking feedback and it's not personal and being able to implement and have design thinking and be able to present things in a way that people are understanding and it, and it makes sense and it's strategic and it's backed by science or data or what have you without just being like, because I, because I like it. And so right. um, that just, I mean, honestly, I guess if I had to boil it down to one thing, it's probably design thinking and being able to present that design thinking. Um, sometimes it's really difficult for people is right. being so close to something and so in the weeds and you want to explain every single decision and every single detail and every single thing and just knowing your audience and how in depth you need to go. And so I think that's gotten me a long way, honestly, but. So how would you, if you were describing design thinking to, you know, to the layperson, how, how would you, describe it and what are some of the sort of the fundamentals or the tools that you need for design thinking? Okay. I'm going to go. So I have two young kids. I'm going to give you like a quick analogy. All right. Um, the second, uh, uh, frozen two, there's a whole song around doing the next best thing and like truly 
that is like my process. That is my way of thinking. That is like, that is it. It's as simple as that. It's just to think about, do I have enough information to do something smart, strategic and beautiful? Or do I not? Do I need to ask more questions? Do I need more research? If I made a decision today, whether that's aesthetically or strategically or anything else, could I back it up and how could I back it up? And so design thinking for me and then design presenting is saying, here's the best option for you, client. And then when they're like, but why is that the best option? Because they're clearly not seeing all of our process and all of our ideation and all of the things. It's saying, here's why. But explaining it in a way that's not like, here's every single little tiny in intricacy. It's like, here's the broad things I thought about that are in relation to you, making it all about them. Um, and here's why I got to the best end product that I did. Um, so really, like, again, I go super old school. I think I go back to like third grade speak, right? Like, I feel like when we're presenting things, especially in our craft and our expertise, that other people don't understand it's like keep it keep it simple stupid like just explain it to me in words i understand yeah um and so when i'm thinking about that it's just going back to like what's the next best thing to do what's the next right thing and then in doing that and every step of the process then i can sort of um reconfigure my explanation to anybody about uh, around anything um as to how i got there and you know it's it's a guided conversation it's it's not objective it's very subjective but that takes so long i want it now i want it now <laughs> why is this taking so long right it's mm -hmm. like how do mm -hmm. you you know how do you how do you combat that and by the way just quick side note it's so funny that you mentioned frozen because when you were talking earlier about um you know letting it go i i, I almost you know started singing let it go <laughs> <laughs> So you must have, maybe that's a reoccurring theme in your, in your work, but how maybe. do you, you know, how do you push back? Right. Because I feel like this is a trend that's happening in our business where everything has just become on demand, right? I can get a car here in a few minutes. I can get any kind of food I want delivered. So why is it taking you guys, you know, X amount of time to come back with a solution? You know, like how do you, how do you combat that kind of stuff? Oh my gosh. If you have the secret sauce, please, you tell me. But I guess that's where I really, you know, heavily rely on my team and we all come together to be able to craft that message. But it's really just a matter of, I, I personally think it's a matter of relationship with your clients and saying, hey, you trust us. We've done a little bit of work taking it step by step. Let's prove out exactly what we're trying to do one step at a time. And, you know, like you want this big sort of North star vision. Let's break that down into steps. So that way they're feeling incremental positive um, movement without necessarily seeing the full kit and caboodle. Um, so sort of breaking it down into steps, baby steps, if you will. But I really, really think that that is heavily revolved around trust with your client and how much they trust you, how much they trust your team and um, just educating them on your process and how long things take and why things cost so much money. Why does this cost so much money? Like right. that is the thing we hear all the time. But um, but once they start feeling it, once they start gaining that trust, once you have that camaraderie, I mean, me, even as a designer, 
starting to have that camaraderie um, with clients, it goes, it goes a long way. So when you, when they ask questions and you give them answers, they're trusting that. And so um, I go back to, again, what we were talking about earlier of just like being able to present your work and like have that understanding and being confident in all of that. And I think it goes full circle with that relationship and the understanding and everything in between. So when you get into the nuts and bolts, right, you got to, you have a brief, and it's time to come up with ideas. Um, where do you start? I, I, I'm looking at some notes here that I had from um, from our kind of pre-chat here. And you, you talk about picking up on words and using words, which is interesting because you, you've come up sort of the visual route. Um, t- tell me about that, about how you use the words and, and just kind of give us, you know, Pretend we have a little camera in your in your brainstorming <laughs> studio. What what would I see you doing with your team? Yeah. So I mean, every conversation, every project starts with whether it's a brief, we're talking to the client, talking to internal teams. I feel like you can start to pick up on these words. And I also you know, when I say picking up on words, they're really like meaningful, sort of deep standout words. Things like empathetic or um it needs to be sexy or jazzy or whatever and those things can mean a lot of different things but they're powerful words that sort of stand out to you and so you don't need to necessarily define at that point what that means visually but it's a matter of sort of listening to the client and who they want to be what they want to be or what they are now and who they desire to be and then listening to our internal team and how did they interpret that and, and how, um, how are they then talking about it? And then me, myself, doing my own research, if I go to so-and-so's website currently and I look at their mission, their vision, their whatever, um, pulling out those really sort of distinct words, um, to me, that is like the number one starting place for a design because, like I mentioned, sexy, right? Like that could be like Marilyn Monroe sexy and that could be um Miley Cyrus sexy those are two very different sexies uh but that still gives me then two concepts two directions like let's lean into some of those different uh words or combination of words and start to pick out um how that could come to life and so I guess I feel like if you don't have those words those adjectives those things that you are or want to be you're sort of just shooting in the dark um, because then you're just applying design based on personal preference or um, even competitive audit type stuff. But if you start kind of pointing back to those things um, that really resonates with a client and helps you kind of give you that North star from the beginning. So when you, okay, so now let's say you've taken those, those words and you've kind of landed, I would assume on some kind of, maybe it's a statement or it's kind of a, you know, if it's a visual, more of a visual thing, maybe it's a mood board or some kind of guiding North star, right? Then do you send your team off to do work collaboratively or in small groups? Or I'm always curious because I have found, um, that the traditional brainstorm, um, (laughs) as we know, it is just, it doesn't work, right? I, I, right? I prefer, and it's not like I'm saying anything revolutionary, but a lot of people think this too. But, you know, <laughs> I feel like if you're in a room, guess who does all the talking? 
probably you and I, right? The creative directors. And there's like some really yep. shy, really smart person in the corner who's got great ideas, but doesn't speak <laughs> up. And then everybody latches onto the thing that I said. And then we never get to that. So do you have any kind of things that you do to kind of break out of that? You still need to do those, I think, from time to time. But do you have some other like little techniques or little ways to group people together to work on problems? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's a couple of different sort of pieces to this. So um, as much as I'm listening to conversations and picking up on those words, then what typically we are doing is then curating those words and saying, like I said, if you're taking the word sexy and there's different ways to apply that, um, we do a lot of design workshops with the client. So we're very, very collaborative with our clients at every step of the way. So that way we're really in step. There's no surprises and we're not taking information going away and then coming back and presenting it. So with those words, then we'll put together sort of a, a design workshop. We'll look at found inspiration, found uh, pieces of design, digital or not. Like even if it's like I found this really cool ad and it's print or I heard this really cool podcast and it said this thing, like we'll pull all of those nuggets together and say, does this feel like you from a tone, design, perspective, everything, or does this feel like you and really make it a conversation. And out of that, even though, even though it might still be sort of director led, our team is really a part of that hearing it firsthand, getting those outcomes. Um, and from that, we get even more nuggets of inspiration, even more words, even more examples, visual examples. And um, we can sort of take that and, and move forward with it. And I would say something that's kind of new, unique about uh, horizontal versus anywhere else that I've worked is that um, we are big enough that we have enough, we have multiple designers that can like work on things at the same time, small enough that, uh, we all get to own our own projects. So usually if designers are working together, it's because we're in concepting phase, right? So everybody interprets things differently, but we all get the same information. We can kind of go away and we come back, cross collaborate, push each other, ask questions, do all the things. We're, we're very, very, very collaborative, whether on the project or not. Um, and so I think it's cool because then like back to your original question, um, there's no necessarily like set guided structure process, but uh -huh. we're all running things off of each other. We're preemptively presenting things. We're, um, you know, taking those initial words, we're taking the, the design workshops and we're then putting rubber to the road. Yeah. Where do you, this is something that I still struggle with now and I'm curious to know especially, you know, we're talking about the dreaded RFP. <laughs> when do you stop? Because um, it's been my experience that people are, you know, as my old boss used to call it, buttering mouse turds, which I don't, <laughs> I, yeah, it, it, it's so gross. <laughs> and it doesn't quite make sense, but I get it. It just means like you're just, you know, you're kind of going over something so minuscule over and over and over. Um, but where do you stop? Because I think that sometimes, you know, we keep going and going and going because, you know, so-and-so had a little idea. And so you make a word change here. And then so-and-so had another thought. You make a word. And then before you know it, sometimes you've lost the magic or the, you know, you've written some beautiful sentence and now all of a sudden it looks like you've written a technical manual. 
how do you stop? Like, how do you, you know, and you know, who makes that decision? I'm curious to okay. know in, in your world. Oh, okay. So we're getting into question. it. We're, we're getting into it. I just saw loaded it. On, I saw it in your face. You're just like, Oh, oh. Well, I got, I got some here. Okay. So do you agree with that though? Do you agree with oh, that? Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So what's weird about my six, seven years doing this is that from the beginning, I've been a part of the pitch process. Like pitching is my favorite thing. It's like the most exciting. You get to like brain dump a bunch of stuff and you don't have to fully figure it out. You're truly setting the vision. And I love that. I think you stop when it's time to deliver the RFP. And I wish I had a better answer, but if you have two weeks to do an RFP, if you have two days or you have two months, you always are right up to the deadline because it could always be better. Right. So unfortunately, I guess that's, that's the, that's the, I think that's the, uh, in this particular case today, I think it was, we, we did make it better up until the very end, but I think in some cases, it Sometimes you're hurting yourself. Yeah, yes. I think you're hurting yourself. But anyway, yep. so I guess, yeah. Getting too nitpicky. But but I will say, I think the biggest thing with a pitch and a, a successful pitch is having that ring later. Like you need to not have too many cooks in the kitchen who are head chefs. You need to have all the cooks in the kitchen who are supportive, who are making the side dishes and the desserts and, you know, all the things. But you need the head chef to make those decisions of like, yes, we're doing that or no, we're not. We're done. We're pushing. Um, and I think that is overall the number one thing of the success or the failure of a pitch. But, but um, all new ideas are always welcome, right? You need for a successful pitch. You also need uh, all of the different sort of perspectives, but the, uh, I guess the hardest thing I've seen is when you go through a pitch and you've got like strategy doing one thing, creative doing another, and the L team doing another, and it all comes together, it doesn't all come together. It's very siloed. You need somebody who's telling the story, and you need somebody who understands the story and is weaving it all together, so that way you don't have people going in and changing this one word or this one word or this one word, because that is the magic of a pitch, is the storytelling. Right. Yeah. So do you guys, um, cause oftentimes, you know, going back to the whole question about time and everything is faster, right? You know, we try to do things in a, in a logical order, right? So, um, trying to get some research and insights and some data and something that we can kind of build from. Um, and then it shouldn't necessarily be like a cold handoff. It's almost like you're kind of running in parallel for, you know, the last half a mile with the other team and then there's a handoff and they can kind of keep on me with you for a little bit. I don't know, whatever it is, the analogy, but um, so it's not necessarily a, a cold handoff, but how, how do you avoid that kind of everybody's working simultaneously? It's like, wait a minute, how can we all be working simultaneously if we don't, we haven't gotten the, what the strategy is or what the kind of like strategic insight that we're building off of? And you're all, and then, like you said, you finally get in a room and it's like, wait a minute, it's not working here. And then you have to kind of reconfigure things and try to like retrofit things. And then you end up with something that's kind of like, meh. Yeah. I mean, I will speak from experience that no pitch ever goes perfectly. It's always sort of 
a shit show, excuse my language, but um, at least at Horizontal, what we try to do is get everyone aligned on an outline sticky note style first, right? Like, oh, great. let's not dive into the meat and bones of a pitch deck. Let's not get into PowerPoint or Keynote yet. Let's just understand what is that story in very few words? What's the headlining exercise? So that way we're all on the same page of the story we're trying to tell. And that way it's also not like, here's the strategy section and here's the creative section. It's like, here's the story we're telling. In this piece, we're going to talk about strategy and creative. This piece, we're going to talk about UX and we can support that with creative. And we sort of all kind of align Love on the, the, the biggest outline first. Um, but also it's just a matter of, I think, Here's the number one thing I think is so, so, so needed in a pitch process, design process, anything is just being proactive. Don't wait for people to ask you to go talk to so-and-so about a question you might have. Don't wait for your PM to schedule a meeting about something. If you have a question or you're not sure, just ping them, zoom them, get up, walk to them, like ask those questions because that's way more proactive. It's going to get you way farther and then document those answers. So when you do have a bigger group meeting, you can talk about what those things are. Um, and you can show like, this is where we were and this is what we think we should do. And it's a compare and contrast and not just you going in and making a bunch of changes, assuming everyone's on the same page of reading your brain. So I think there's a number of things, um, be- collaboratively, but then also individually just kind of taking some ownership. Excellent. Yeah, there's a lot of good there's a lot of good stuff in what you just said. So if you're listening, I'm sure you're taking notes. If you're not, <laughs> rewind and take some notes. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best, it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, what keeps you inspired? How do you get inspired? Are there some books or podcasts or things that, that you um, that you sort of turn to time after time to sort of get inspired? So I would say traveling for sure when we can, but obviously that's been tough the last right. few years. Um, for me personally, it's music. And I think that comes from a background of I grew up as a dancer Um, And so music's been sort of instilled in my life and it provokes a lot of emotion. It provokes a lot of visuals, weirdly, too. Um, Even listening to certain music, I'm taken back to very specific moments in my life. And so if I need to feel inspired or creative, I know exactly what kind of music's going to sort of do that for me. Um, 
even okay so this is super strange but one of my favorite um one of my favorite documentaries is the art of flight and it's about snowboarding and i am not a snowboarder but the way it's a red bull media film the way they shot it the way they art directed it the music overlay they have on it it is like I've watched it a hundred times. And if I watched it again tonight, I'd be like, I have to do more. I have to do better. I can do this. Like it's the, it's the combination of all of the things, the narrative, the storytelling, the writing, it just provokes that feeling that you just, you can't even describe. It's just like, I can, I can do this. I can fucking do this. So are, so let me, let me ask you a question. So are you saying that you look at that as a way to sort of judge not judge, but sort of measure up your work. Like when you think about the project that you're working, you're thinking like, how can I make it be a more of a complete package like this thing is? Or are you saying you look at it to get pumped up? Both. Okay. I would say both. Like I could watch that movie and it just reinvigorates my energy, especially like I said, with a one and a three-year-old, my energy is often low and that kind of gets me re-energized. But equally, it just is a testament to, it's not just beautiful design doesn't go a long way. It has to be beautiful design with a really strong storytelling message. Um, and it's got to be paired with really amazing and intentional interactions and animations and the development the accessibility it has to be on point. It's like really the perfect example of all the things coming together. Um, because it's truly a team effort. You can't make something amazing and groundbreaking without all of the other parts. So I think it's both. I think it's both. Like personally, that one gets me super jacked up, but also it's because of all of the things coming together that it just makes you realize how important and how in depth anything creative is. It's not just visual. It's not just words. It's not just music. It's not just animation. It's everything combined. Right. Yeah, that's cool. I'll have to check that that out. Um, what do you like to do um, outside of work to kind of, you know, just things that you like to do that outside of, you know, being an associate creative director? <laughs> I like to do a lot of things with very little time. <laughs> but um, I am big into woodworking, weirdly enough. So uh, my dad's a big, big woodworker. And I think what I've realized in my sort of creative abilities and the digital space, which is always changing and it's super complex and it's all of the things, it's hard to see all of the thought and work and everything come together quickly and like have it be tangible. So what I love about woodworking and crafting is that you are literally physically seeing it in front of your face and it's either right or it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> That's the other thing about design. It's so subjective. You could have somebody be like, this is the best thing ever. And then the next yeah. one is like, ah, uh, this is crap. Yeah. Um, and when you're making a table, it's either a table or it's not a table. So. That's true. That's true. But I'll, I, but I will say, I mean, it could somebody could say, well, I don't like that table. I like that table. But you're right. It is. It's like it works as a table. So right. I did. I did my job. Are you a fan? I'm just curious. Are you a fan of the show uh, Making It? Oh yeah, I a love that show. Fan. Yeah, we watch that as a family and just and and just dig it. And oh it's, yeah, it's something that's really interesting about some of the uh, the makers on there uh, is, and I always try to think about, like, try to make a parallel to the work that I do. It's like sometimes they'll do something like line 
the back of some surface that you're never going to see. Right. But then they turn around and it's like beautifully lined with like velvet and something. And it's like, why did that person do that? And it's kind of like, well, because that's the way you should do it. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I think, am I making things that are like beautiful and cool? Like, you know, on On the the surface surface level and then you turn around and then you see a bunch of nails and duct tape and shit, you know, which is really funny because sometimes (laughs) when working with developers, especially if you've got like a three week turnaround time, if you ask them, they're like, Oh yeah, that's like band-aided together. And that's what that is. But like if you think about doing it correctly and doing it with a foundation with the future in mind kind of thing, it's the exact same thing. I also think what's really interesting about that show is that there's like engineers, there's scientists, yeah. there's like all of these sort of different perspectives who are coming in. And I've found that some of my favorite people working in this industry have very strange backgrounds. Like I went to school for graphic design. And I think I'm like one of the weird ones. Um, I work with really stellar developers who are like lawyer backgrounds or yeah. whatever. It's like, how right. did you get here? But those perspectives make it so interesting. Yeah. And then I also understand you have another love, which is the ukulele. <laughs> is that was, is that true? It's a new love. It's a new love. We'll have yes. to we'll have to do a we'll have to do like dueling um, dueling ukuleles at some point. I would love that. So I'm just teaching myself. Actually, what's funny is my boss, my boss's daughter has a ukulele. He brought it into work one day, and I picked it up, and I was like, I have to learn this. This is so awesome. And I took it to every meeting with me for a week. <laughs> um, took it home, started learning it. My son started learning it. Don't tell him Santa for Christmas is bringing him a ukulele. Like we are getting into it, but yeah, I love it. Again, it's very subjective. It's like you either get it or you don't. There's no, there's no question. Right. (laughs) Now, if you can combine it and make a ukulele now, now we're talking the, (laughs) the woodworking skills to make it and then line it on the back with, you know, all kinds of beautiful things and make it really special. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, so that was our little detour, uh, yes. to, to outside things, but sort of getting back to what we do for a living, you know, what, what do you think the biggest challenges are that, that we're facing, right? Especially now as, as sick as I am of saying it, right? Like now that, you know, COVID is still with us, it'll probably always still be with us in some way or form, shape or form. Mm-hmm. But now that we're kind of coming out of this, maybe, you know, what is, what has that done to what we do and what's the future and what are the, what are going to be the biggest challenges that that we have going forward? Yeah. I mean, I think it really comes back to sort of that ecosystem play of it's no longer just you're in a digital space or you're in a physical space. It's really, really a blurred line between the two. Um, And so, and, and I would say even, more leaning on the digital space, which is crazy. Like if you think about e-com, it's less about going in store anymore. It's more about like that digital experience, but, but we still as humans don't want to just have a digital experience. We want to then go on premise and still have sort of that interconnectedness. And so figuring out how to connect all of those things using data but also finding that line of, you know exactly who I am and what I want, but you're not being creepy and spying on me, right? So like, there's so many things we can do using data, but it's also 
figuring out what that line is of humanity um, without being terrifying, without being robots, without being everything else. Um, and, and I think between that change of being like very holistically digital and combining those sort of digital and physical spaces, as well as the digital aspect technologies are just changing so fast. And I go back to what I said in the very beginning, I feel like I happen to be in a right place, right time sort of situation of when I graduated, digital was like this big new thing. And of course, then I was jumping right in learning with everybody else. But, um, but that was that was okay, because we're all doing it together. But now it's also it's it's just changing so fast. And so how do you keep up on that? How do you um, continue to learn and train yourself and, and do all those things so that way you are giving the best recommendation. You're not stuck in old school ways. Um, I think all of those things sort of go back to what the future is going to be and how malleable, how open to change we are, how, um, um, how I, I, I guess like a sponge, how much we're willing to like take in new things and just figure it out. Um, there's definitely not, this industry is definitely not made for people who are like used to their ways. I guess it's changes every day. It's like thinking even about accessibility, right? Accessibility is changing constantly and it's just not a set it and forget it kind of thing. You've got to constantly sort of be on the know. So when you say that about sort of constantly evolving and changing and all that, you're talking about, you know, from the perspective of what we do, but do you ever foresee a point where the consumer is just like, because everything's driven by the consumer, right? So the consumers want it, then the companies are going like, hey, we need to do this. The, the really good ones are kind of thinking ahead, but the, you know, the reactive ones are going like, we're hearing that, are, you know, customers want to do this. Do you ever foresee a time when people are just like, Ugh, enough already, I just want to go back to going to the store like I used to do. Do you ever see, foresee that time? I'm just curious. I don't think so because I don't think that's going away. Um, if anything, that's the blur between digital and physical. Like if you think about Target and how they used to have 17 apps and a uh, website and then the in-store experience and they kind of combined it all into one and that app can now help you in-store as well. It's sort of blurring that line. Um, but... Oh man, there was something I was just going to say to that. Wait, ask your question again. What did you All just right. ask me? So do you foresee a time where we just sort of go back that people are like, okay, enough already. Uh, I kind of yes. want to go back to the way it was before. And, and okay. So this was the second part of this question is I don't even think people are general. Uh, yes. I think people do think that way sometimes, but if I'm thinking about, experiences that people love um they're not thinking like oh my god i love this experience this is everything i needed if anything people only acknowledge experiences when it's going wrong hmm. um and so when somebody does something really really well that sets the new standard without the consumer even realizing that that's setting the new standard right so again going back to delta all of that data is going into that one app and that is setting the standard for 
everything being super interconnected. And I know exactly how far away my gate is and how long it's going to take and my next trip and my next flight and all the information I need. It's really setting that standard. But then if that consumer then goes to another experience with say like Best Buy or Target or whatever, and they're not getting that thing, that's when they're going to notice. It's not necessarily in the really opportune time. It's in the after market piece when they all of a sudden want that experience and they're not getting it. So I think it's, it's kind of weird. It's like, we don't expect things, but once we have them, then we expect them. And when we don't get them, then we're disappointed. Right, 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 right. Do so you psychological. just, yeah. Do you just, as a, just as a person, as a human being, as a consumer, do you ever go like, ugh, enough already? Like there was, you know, I recently had to get a new phone and I seriously was so ready just to get a flip phone that <laughs> received calls and text messages and just be like, I- I'm just done. Cause I feel like sometimes it's just sucking so much time away from me. Um, but then I started thinking about, it's so funny that you mentioned that I started thinking about the airport. I'm like, okay, so I'm traveling for work. My flight gets canceled. I need to rebook it. You know, what am I going to do with a flip phone? Right. So then I'm like, I can't do it. I can't. I, it's, it's like, it's now permanently part of, but do you ever, you know, sort of feel like, uh, and even though it's kind of what you do for a living, right? You make it, these experiences and you um, build these things. Do you ever just sometimes go like, I don't want it. I just want, you know. Every day of my life. Like that is social media to me is I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to be so connected all the time. But Again, I can think that all day long. And to your exact point, I can be like, I just need to disconnect. I just don't care. I don't care. I just want to write my letter. I want to put it in an envelope and I want to put a postage stamp on it and get it four days later. Like, that's fine. And then equally, something else will happen and be like, oh, I got to call my mom or I need to check on that right now on my phone with my email. So I think that there's this, and and this is totally my opinion, this is not based on anything, but I think that there's this inherent want for the old way of doing things and disconnecting and just like kind of slowing things down. And then in the moment of need, we freak out and we stress when we can't get that thing when we need it right away because we're so trained to have things at our fingertips at all times. I know. So I don't know. I don't yeah. know the answer. <laughs> it's crazy because last night I was driving home and and I didn't I didn't um, have the right charger in my car and my phone went dead, and the whole time I'm just thinking, my wife's gonna think I've been involved in a horrible crash and I you know and I <laughs> you know I'm not she calls me and I didn't answer and then and you know you think back and it's like well there was a time where I didn't have a cell phone or I you know or whatever and it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, but then you, 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 you're, you're right. It's like, why well, I, I do want to call her and let her know that I'm okay or whatever, mm-hmm. but you can't. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it is, it is interesting. It's kind of like, you know, it's like, make up your mind Selfie's already. What do, you, what do you want? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> but um, it's also, it's funny though, because in thinking about that, so when we create experiences being in the industry, that's where I feel like it really comes down to like, what is the ultimate goal? Like, don't overdo it. I think that there's a lot of like beautiful design or experiences that really overdo it. And it's like, what's the simplest way? 
what's the simplest way to just get the task done um, in, a, in a meaningful way without it being like crazy, right? Because there's so many things that are already distracting us. And I think sometimes people think more is more, but sometimes people just want things that work really well without the whiz bang boom. Yeah. And so it's a matter of like figuring out when it's time to do that. And I right. appreciate thinking about that. Yeah. No, that's definitely good, good, especially when it comes to your line of, of work. Um, if you weren't a creative director, what do you think you'd be doing? <laughs> I would be a pilot. I like would an, be a pilot. What was that? This whole, this whole thing's really started to paint a very vivid picture because <laughs> you're the pilot um, who's playing the ukulele and like <laughs> building like a like a shelf in the cockpit to hold your <laughs> Starbucks or something like what is happening here? You're flying a plane, you're building a table and you're playing the ukulele. I love it. But what's what's the what's behind that? I don't know, honestly. Uh, well, I guess I, I do kind of know all of the bits and pieces of all of these sort of different things that make up me, but I don't know how they all work together. But being a pilot, so I grew up in Iowa. Um, I had a lot of, I, I come from a farming family. Um, I had a lot of friends who had farmer parents. And so they had just like their hobby pilot license to help sort of like feed the crops. And I always thought that was, so cool. And I also have this sort of like adrenaline junkie vibe side of me pre-children. And so I always just thought it would be so cool to be in control of something like that. Maybe that's what it is. It's about the control, maybe. Yeah. Um, and I also love traveling. And so I just have always thought it would be so cool to be able to fly a plane, go wherever, kind of be out of the limits of roads and even elevation, right? Like even if someone's coming at you, you just go up or you go down. And I think there's something so cool and unlimiting and like freeing about that, that maybe we just don't get in our normal everyday lives. And so still to this day, I will become a hobby pilot. But again, I do not know how this all fits together other than what you just described of me playing a ukulele, building a <laughs> shelf in the cockpit, and then being on a client call explaining my design choices. Exactly. Well, then you could just fly. You could fly yourself to all the pitches and everything. No, I, I think I like right? it. I think I like yeah. it. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going with that. Um, have you, what have, you know, who have been your mentors? Are there, you know, does anybody come to mind or what are some of the best lessons or things that you always think about from that you learn from a mentor? Yeah. So funny enough, a lot of my mentors have not been necessarily in my, um, they've been in the industry, but not necessarily in the straight line of work. And uh, a lot of them have been women and just understanding how to be like a really, um, powerful and influential woman in the industry. And um, really the big thing through a lot of my mentors that have come to light is just this thought of being trusting and then also being consistent. Um, so the biggest thing I've heard is that, you know, as a, as a leader, and this is something that like, I will not even be bashful about, sorry, my cat is next to me too. So I'm just like okay. fending her off. I won't even be, I won't even be bashful about this, but I'm still learning this and, um, you know, figuring out when to be, uh, a friend and when to be a leader and when to be a mentor and when to 
say something funny and when to allow other people's to be uh, allow other people to be funny and just like react casually it's a hard thing to figure out especially you know in my late 20s I just you know I still want to be people's friends I like meeting people so just figuring out how to be that consistent um emotional person and that consistent person to talk to whether it's good or bad has been the number one thing that I've taken away from my mentors of if things are going going to hell it's okay and it's going to be okay we're not curing cancer yep. we are going to be fine and we're going to figure it out no one's losing their job like everything's fine and on the flip side things are going super super well that is the moment to like let your team be in the limelight and not necessarily you be in the limelight and really like empowering your team and um letting them ride all of those highs and lows and so something I'm still definitely practicing. I'm asking all the time, like, I think I messed up. What do I do? And that's okay. Because I mean, I've not, like I said, I'm a new, I'm a new director and yeah. you've got to learn it. You can't, you can't do it without falling down. So. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know, do you know this factoid, which um, one of my creative directors told me about, um, I have, I have three female creative directors that female creative directors at the time, I think this was a couple of years ago, make up only like 3% of the total like creative leaders in, it may have gone up, but um, I tell you that just because, you know, it's shocking, but also because you should be, you know, pretty proud because you're sort of trailblazing for other people. And I'm sure there, there are women on your team who are looking at you going like, I'm going to be, you know, just like Emily. So that's pretty cool. And I, I think that's, that's I think awesome. That's yeah. I don't know what the percentage is now, but it was some shockingly low number. And I was just like, that's, that's really hard to believe. Um, but I think it's changing. And I think, um, and rightly so. I mean, I think it's, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so anyway, I just thought I'd throw that little factoid um, yeah. So now, now we've come to the moment in the in the podcast where we have to pay off the title of the show, <laughs> and you know, in all of your late twenty something years of experience and the seven that you've had as a you know in the industry, what is the and, and you're going to have call me in ten years because I'm sure you're going to have <laughs> some other one that you want that you want to tell me about. But what is your creative director confession? Dun, dun, I dun. will. I will tell you what it is now, but I promise you in 10 years, it'll be the same. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say my creative director confession is that I don't know what I'm doing generally. I mean, and I think that's true with so many people in so many different industries. We all get titles for different reasons. We all earn our stripes, but... It, it's not like you become a director because you know absolutely everything you're doing. You become a director because you did all the things you knew before and now you're growing into the next thing. Um, and, and we're all learning and we're all kind of faking it till we make it. And like I said, it's not, it's not a matter of like we don't know what we're doing completely, but we can exude confidence. We can, we can know our craft but all of the other things that come with sort of leveling up in your career, it's all new all the time. I even remember when I first started at Horizontal, I was talking with my boss, TJ, and I was like, how did you learn how to do all the things you do? That was like a serious question I asked him. And he's like, 
I got thrown into it and I learned it as I went and I'm still learning it. And I still have imposter syndrome. Like that is a very real thing, no matter Mm -hmm. what level you're at. Yep. And so that's something I'm very vocal about is that imposter syndrome is real and it's okay. (laughs) And it's okay to not hide it too. Like it's okay to ask questions. I'm constantly asking other directors on the team, other people on the team in general, like, how would you do this? How do you do this at horizontal specifically? How would you do this in the future? What have you done in the past that didn't work? What would you want to do differently? I think the biggest um, sort of benefit of being new in a position is just asking questions and admitting what you don't know, because trying to just act like you know everything is not going to get you anywhere. And it's not like a team sort of collaborative sort of feeling. So I think it's okay. It's okay to not know everything. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's the number one, that's the number one uh, thing that people on the podcast say is the imposter syndrome with the rare uh, exception. Speaking of Rob Burnham, I mentioned him at the beginning. He had a crazy one where he lost like this. He lost like all this film. Uh, It was like a photo shoot and he lost it and he never, he had to come up with some solution that was really funny and listen to that episode. It's hilarious. But almost everybody else had said something about, you know, imposter syndrome. And and you know, what's, what's really sad is I agree with you. I think it's okay to say that, but there's such a stigma uh, about saying that. Like if you're, you know, like my biggest thing, like sometimes let's say for an RFP, right. It's like, well, you know, we're responding to it and there's some question that comes up and it's like, well, we just don't know yet. We just don't know because we're not Mm -hmm. engaged with the client. There's any number of things that we may not know about their future or their process or things like that. So how can we, how can we, you know, put forward an answer or solution? And sometimes the response you get from other people, because it makes them nervous, like, well, we can't, we're supposed to be the experts. We're supposed to know that. I'm like, yeah, but we don't know. And anything that we say is really going to be a guess. So either say that it's our best guess or say we don't know, you know, and, mm-hmm. and just say and, and tell them why, what you need to figure that out. But there's still a stigma with that. So, you know, I, I try to sort of fight that when I can. And then sometimes you, you just can't and you say, OK, well, we'll just tell them this. But I agree there shouldn't there shouldn't be um, you should be able to say, like, I I don't know, but I'll find out or we'll. Yeah, we'll figure yeah. It out. And that's the biggest takeaway is the but, right? Like, but we'll find out or here are the assumptions we have. Like, I think if you just say, I don't know, and then you leave people, that's where people get uncomfortable. But if you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, but this is what I do know. And this is what I'm leaning on you for. And here's my game plan forward. Even if I don't know what I'm doing, it's like you would never go to your boss and be like, I have all of these problems, but I have no solutions to the problem. If you go to your boss and you're like, I have this problem, but I had this thought, they're going to be like, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, great. Like they're going to take it differently than just being like, I'm complaining. Right. So it's the same sort of thought process of, um, I don't, we don't know enough to answer that question, but we're going to go find out. And if you pay us, we're going to go do this research and like all the other things to show, like we understand the process and how to get to that. I think that's even honestly, like more genuine than just being like, and here's your solution. <laughs> I think so. I think so too. Um, you know, and I think, you know, we're able to do it sometimes and sometimes you just, you know, can't for any number of reasons, but yeah, right. it is. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you on that, on the whole imposter syndrome that happens to me from time to time. And then there's also conversely, sometimes where I, 
you know, I'm in a pitch or something and I'm like, I said that and it was kind of smart, <laughs> you know, and you're like, I do know what I'm talking about, you know, so I sometimes have that oh my gosh. thing. And I I've have this thing that. in my brain that I'm like, somehow much younger than I am. I'm like, the kid did it again. And I'm like, wait a minute. I've been in this for a long time. Maybe I'm not the kid anymore. Uh, so, honestly, anyway. you saying that is how I felt on this whole, like, I was so nervous to record this podcast. And I'm like, every question I've answered, I'm like, oh my God. I like kind of might know what I'm talking about a little bit sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's absolutely. You know. <laughs> and that's the, that's the beauty of doing this podcast is you, you know, for, I think for both sides is a, I get to learn from a, a lot of really uh, smart and cool people like you, but then also I get to kind of share my perspective and I'm like, okay, maybe I do know what I'm talking about. So yeah, it's yeah. kind of like, it's kind of like creative director, therapy. So, um, well, thanks, thanks for, thanks for being part of the creative director, uh, therapy, Emily, I, I appreciate it. I really enjoyed the conversation. I thought we, um, covered a lot of really interesting, uh, topics and you shared a lot of really great information. So I, I appreciate it. And I look forward to sort of following your, your career trajectory and, um, seeing all the other people that you inspire along the way and, you know, change it from, 3% to 50% or 100%, whatever it needs to be. So thanks for joining the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. Send me a bell. Let me know how much I owe you for my therapy session, <laughs> and we'll connect again later. Same time next week. <laughs> okay, we will do. Next time you need to – by the way, you can't bring a drink to therapy, so this is even much cooler than therapy because next time <laughs> you can do the, 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 the skinny pickle Rita recipe. Oh, um, but I'm, it's we'll so good. that try it again. All right. Well, we'll talk soon. Keep in touch and be well. Take care. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of Confessions of a Creative Director in the books. Thanks to my special guest, Emily Neubauer. That was cool. I enjoyed talking to her and just kind of getting her uh, fresh perspective, uh, you know, being sort of new to the role as associate creative director. So we'll have to check back in with her and see how she's doing. Make sure that the uh, weight of the world hasn't crushed her creative spirit. Uh, but hey, I also think, what, what do you guys think about the uh, Skinny Pickle Rita? Maybe I need to start a uh, companion podcast about uh, these specialty cocktails or, or write a book. I am thinking about turning all these uh, episodes into some kind of book of wisdom for creative directors. What do you think about that? Leave me a comment in the comment section about that. Well, that's it for now. I'm going to play you out with a song from my first record. It's called If It Means That Much To You. And until next time, peace and creativity. Watching you tear us
Let's go.